And what does she have? The mystery of Israel's lost ancient tribe. Wrapped in a tea towel. Wrapped in a tea towel. A 1,700-year-old religious ritual object with Hebrew writing, with an Israelite name, with a ram's horn. A religious object of Israelite origin from exactly the area that the lost tribes went to a thousand years after they supposedly disappeared. Unbeknownst to most Israelis, the majority of Bukharan Jews have now emigrated to Israel. But the chain has been broken. They do not know that they may be descendants of the Nephtalites. as the city of the Samarians. Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. We continued along the Silk Route towards China. The city of Kaifeng was the capital city of the Han Dynasty. Following the Neftalite Trail, we learned that the Chinese records say that the Neftalites were here. They were labeled Jews or Yuda by the Chinese. It is virtually impossible to identify a Jew in Kaifeng today. But there was one government official who was willing to talk. There was a Jewish community, but now there is no... 
This is the synagogue. Former site of the synagogue. Okay. And can you write over here the, the two family names? Only for your reference. I understand. And most likely, and you will be refused. No, 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 no. We did not find lost tribes in China waiting in their millions. But could the last Jews of Kaifeng help us in our quest? About 300 years ago, our synagogue ceased to exist. No more worship. Nothing was left. Nonetheless, to this day, there are Chinese people in Kaifeng whose identity papers still describe them as Jews, Yuda. Hmm. So, Yuda, hmm. this is his name, right? Yes. Does he think he is a Jew? The world is in chaos. We absolutely, desperately need understanding. Yes. Sure. Amidst the mementos of the last Jews of Kaifeng, we thought, is it possible that the Menasseh of India and Burma are the remnants of an unknown exodus across Central Asia and China? Perhaps it was time. We long for this Israel, and we have sympathy for Israelis. Nobody told us to feel like that. I don't know how it comes. You know, whenever there is earthquake, then the eldest man of the house, he will run out of the house and shout, oh, we children of Manmasi are alive. We children of Manmasi are alive. He will shout at least three, four times. At the top of his voice, then he will come. Then he says, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Then he, he will tell us, our ancestor has shaken the earth to find out whether his descendants are still alive or not. There's something very poetic about the possibility that the Benasse of Northeast India are the descendants of an unknown, long-forgotten, Israelite trek across China into Burma, finally ending up in India. And when we were with the elders of the Manasseh, they pulled out a map that illustrated exactly 
the journey we had suspected. Showing them starting in Israel, going across Central Asia to China, down into Burma and into India. And in fact, they went further and started singing a song in an archaic form of their language. A song not of the unknown Exodus, but this time a song of the known Exodus. The Exodus with, with which we're all familiar. The Exodus of the Red Sea parting. The Exodus of eating quail that falls from heaven, water coming from the rock, and the enemies of the Israelites drowning in the Red Sea. The first verse is telling that the big Red Sea is a parted. Then the second verse goes, we are going on foot across that uh, parted sea. Then the, the water came up together again and the enemies were being swallowed by the sea. They were being guided by a flame at night and a cloud during the day. And then this one pointed that you please pick up those flowing out of the rock. Though their history demonstrates that their ancestors passed through China, the Manasseh insists that they are not Chinese and that they have preserved customs which are distinctly biblical. If we were a born China, then how come we are not following the religion of the Chinese people? The Chinese people's religion is a two, uh, broadly two. One is Confucian and another one is um, Buddhist. In, two, in, in the two religions, there is no animal sacrifice. But when I was a small boy, we killed some animal. Then we put big plate. The blood of the animal was set there. Then the priest took some bushes. Protestant missionaries came to these hills. Although they thought they were converting pagans, it seems that the people here were easily persuaded to embrace Christianity because they saw elements of their own history and mythology in the biblical stories told to them. The Manasseh always believed that they were from a far-off land, kept many biblical practices, and worshipped a single God. When we learned that Manasseh eat pork, we thought these could not be Israelites. But interestingly, they mixed the pork with the ashes and regarded it as a meal of shame to be eaten outside the home. These are the ashes. We'll put ashes and then they'll put water in here. But this is uh, what I, we call it so. Inside this, they used to put pork meat inside it. And then they ferment it and then it becomes smelly. When it becomes smelly, they take out this uh, portion and then we take it and then we put it and then we boil it. 
there are three simple changes I tell all of my arthritis patients to make. Boiling. Number one, you have to start drinking. It's like a concentrate or something? And then we boil it. And is that meal a sign of warning? Uh, it's not a meal of a morning, but I think it shows us that we have been cursed. The reason why we have been thrown out from the land of our ancestors. But according to our forefathers, once you make this meat and the pork in here, that means you have made this thing unclean. If people ask us how long you have been eating this thing, this has been a curse from generation to generation, so we are still using this. So we are waiting for Shilova to come and deliver us from all this thing. Shilova will redeem us. Now that's a very strange construction because Jehovah is the God of Israel and Shiloh or Shiloh in Hebrew was the holy place for the northern tribes, for the lost tribes. And Shilova seems to be a fusion of those two terms. Shilova will redeem. And the same person who said that appeared to us in a talit, in a prayer shawl, which looked identical to the prayer shawls that the Jews wear all over the world. This shawl is known as Tolopuan. So this Tolopuan is a long traditional clothes uh, worn by our forefather when they make a vow. Suppose if they make a vow of uh, killing one mithun or a tiger, without killing a tiger they will not come home once they make the vow with wearing this shawl. In Mizo, Tolo means never return back, no turning back. These are made with fringes. The Bible commanded the Israelites to tie a blue thread to the corners of their garments. Is it always a blue thread at the corner? Yes, it's always a blue thread. These people have had a problem in that the Jewish world couldn't relate to them. No one answered their appeals. No one answered their cry. About 50 years ago, a man named Chala, who was one of their leaders, they regard him as a prophet, told them that the time had come for them to return to the land of their forefathers. Many got up and were willing to follow him. Nobody said, what land of our forefathers are you talking about? They all knew that the Holy Land was their ancestral home. People call my father a prophet, and in a sense he was. It was revealed to him that we were Israelites. But he wasn't a prophet in the sense that Jeremiah, Ezekiel, or Hosea were prophets. No, he wasn't a prophet in that way. But in order for us to realize who we are, he did have a revelation. God did not want us to be lost forever. Daniel Benjamin's father was a follower of Chala. Like Chala, he sought to emigrate to Israel. Though in his lifetime the Israeli authorities ignored Daniel's father, he was buried facing Jerusalem. My father wanted very much to immigrate to Israel. He was, in fact, one of the first to return to Judaism, to start practicing Judaism in this part of India. He was a leader of our community. He also taught me a lot about Israel, about Zionism, and about Judaism. Jesus. 
So who are those people in Israel? <laughs> After Chala's death, some of his followers concluded that maybe they should... So who are all those people in Israel? Question mark. LOL. And why have they turned their back on... And why have they turned their back on these, comma, the real lost tribes of Israel, question mark. ...to Judaism before returning to Zion. Since they were reluctant to completely abandon Christianity, they opted for a homegrown version of Messianic Judaism a Jews for Jesus type of worship. But for some of the Manasseh, the call of their ancestors eventually proved too strong to ignore. Look at this picture, a picture which shows how the Torah is being brought from Ethiopia to Israel. See how great it is? The Ethiopian Jews were like us. They had great reverence for the covenant and studied the Torah with great dedication. They loved Torah. Here they entered Jerusalem, bringing their Torah with them. With great joy, we too will soon enter Jerusalem. Thousands of Manasseh have now forsaken Christianity and adopted Orthodox Judaism. Could these people really be Menashe? Because if they are, we may have identified as many as four of the ten lost tribes of Israel. Menashe, Dan being the Ethiopians, and Issachar and Naphtali among the Bukharan Jews of Central Asia. And if we were right to think of the Bukharans as the descendants of Naphtali, then maybe we should be looking for Zebulon. Because Zebulon was the brother tribe of Naphtali in ancient Israel. And history records that at the same time as the Nephtalites were ruling Central Asia in the 5th and 6th centuries, another tribe was ruling parts of Afghanistan, Pakistan, and India. This tribe was called Zavula. So maybe... Giving away our $60 tactical backpack for no charge. You only have to pay the shipping. No hidden charges and no recurring fees. Just pay the shipping. This is our best-selling backpack, and we have 50 that we're giving away for no charge. Absolutely no strings attached. You don't need to pay for the backpack in this giveaway. 50 of these are completely on the house. Last time we did this, we ran out in just two hours. Right. To get yours, just click below and tell us. So maybe we could find in the Indian subcontinent, not on the border of Burma, descendants of the Zavula, just as we had found descendants of the Nephtalites in Central Asia. search of Zebulon.
made its home to 8 million Hindus and 1 million Muslims. Here we found a community numbering about 5,000 that by all accounts should have assimilated into the dominant culture long ago. And though they do not call themselves by any particular tribal name, significantly, like the lost tribes, and unlike other Jews, they call themselves the children of Israel, not Judah. I am not Yehudi, I am Bene Israel. Yehudis, those Jews who migrated to India from Baghdad, my family is Bene Israel. Three hundred years ago, a Jewish merchant traveling through the coastal region was stunned to see Indian peasants chanting Jewish prayers. Fascinated, he stopped to inquire as to how they knew these prayers, and was shocked when they replied that they were Israelites who had lived in India from ancient times. Skeptical of these claims, the merchant visited a village and presented the Bnei Israel with an assortment of fish to be made into a meal, some kosher, some not. When he saw that the villagers knew which fish were kosher, he was convinced that they were in an Israelite community and he helped them return to Judaism. Unique to the Bnei Israel community is the Melida ceremony which is a kind of offering of rice-scented flowers and fruit. Though they had forgotten the reasons behind some of their practices, the Bnei Israel had clung to them as something precious to be passed through the generations. They were observing certain rules and regulations of Judaism. And when they got an opportunity of being told as to what the meaning was of that particular thing, they were only too happy. Why should they lose? And nobody forced us. If they had said, no, you must become Hindus or you must become Mahamudans. But nobody ever forced us because we were such a minority in the whole population of India. Nobody worried about us. But what if they were not always a tiny minority? What if the mysterious rulers of northern India in the 5th and 6th centuries were indeed the lost tribe of Zebulon? The Bene Israel community's own historian, his name was Chaim Kar, wrote a book about the Bene Israel at the turn of the 20th century. He believed that they are descendants of the lost tribes. He thought the tribes were scattered to the ends of the earth and some made their way to India. He talks about various practices they have and compares them to the rituals of the Jerusalem temple, for example, the Melida ceremony. He argues that in an earlier period, they even had sacrifices like those in the temple. But these are all speculations. There's no documentation or proof. After nearly three millennia, there may not be proof, but there is a tantalizing hint. The holiest site for the Bnei Israel of India is a rock outcrop 
100 kilometers south of Bombay. Here we learned that the most revered figure for the Bnei Israel is not King David or Abraham or even Moses. It is the prophet Elijah. The Jews in India believe that the prophet Elijah went to heavens from this place. The mark of his chariot can be seen on the stone rock that we are standing on. The hooves can be seen laid down there and they said that his chariot slipped here and on the top of the mountains over there you can see another uh, sign of the, the hooves of his horses. Using the rock as a kind of altar, the Bnei Israel make an offering of coconut on the mark of Elijah's chariot. This veneration of Elijah is suggestive since Elijah was the prophet of the Israelite tribes that came to be lost. But how would they have gotten there? The community has its own myth of origin. 2,000 years ago, a ship of Israelis got caught in a storm and the ship was wrecked on the coast of Bombay. And only seven couples survived that particular shipwreck. And the seven couples landed at a place known as Naugaon. And we are the, supposed to be the offshoot of those seven couples. It makes more sense that those Israelites came not directly from Israel, but from the north that is, the area of the Silk Road. Israelites of the tribes exiled by the Assyrians became involved in the silk trade, trading along one of the branches of the ancient route that became known as the Silk Road. I believe that these Israelites got as far as Afghanistan, Pakistan, and Kashmir. From there, they got to where the Persian Gulf meets the Indian Ocean and then, in the course of their trade, they may have sailed along the Indian coast. Whichever way they got here, the Bnei Israel can still point to the graves where the survivors of the shipwreck are said to be buried. It now seems that we can draw a plausible link between the Bnei Israel and seafarers coming from the north. But does this prove that the ancient rulers of northern India had any connection whatsoever to the lost tribe of Zebulon? We have coins that say Jabulandan. We have recorded history of their capital city called Baruch, which in Hebrew means blessed. We know that the title of their king was Mir Hagola, which in Hebrew means light of the exile. And we know the name of the king. Their most famous king was Toramana, which in Hebrew or Hindi means, or seems to mean, belief in the Torah, faith in the Torah, faith in the books of Moses. So unless these were all coincidental, we could speculate that the Zavula of India and Pakistan were really the lost tribe of Zebulon.
Is it responding to an ancient call? Many of the Bnei Israel of Bombay have returned to their ancestral home in Israel. They gravitate towards Elijah's cave and continue to demonstrate their reverence for the biblical prophet. Elijah's cave is in the old territory of Zebulon. Standing in this cave, I must confess that I felt that I was in the twilight zone because I was among people who were acting out a script that was written almost 3,000 years ago. And they seemed to be fixated on the prophet that warned the tribes of their exiles and promised them redemption in the end of days. But there was a problem here. The prophecy speaks of millions, and this was a small group. The biggest tribe we had found was Menashe, a million and a half. What is redemption exactly? Question mark. The clue was there. Because the brother tribe of Menashe was Ephraim. So perhaps we had to look for Ephraim. For that, we had to go back to our treasure map. We had to go back to the Bible. In the 8th century BC, the biblical account of the facts is fully reliable about uh, the reasoning, about the whys and, uh, and hows, uh, that is something else. But about what happened, we can fully trust uh, the biblical account. It is fully parallel to what we found in archaeological excavations. I look at things as a believer. For me, the scriptures are paramount. In the book of Kings, we find in several places references to where the tribes were exiled to. Also in the book of Chronicles. It says in these texts that they were exiled to five places. First, the mountains of the Medes. This is in the direction of Kurdistan and the Caucasus. Second, the river Gozan. Third, Hala. Fourth, Hara. And last, Havor. Where are these places? In modern Syria, there are places that roughly correspond to the biblical locations. There is a river called Havor, and nearby there is a city called Gozan. It's very interesting. Few documents were found recently in the in a city on the river Habur called Durkatlimu, a German excavation. Uh, and, a seriologist, uh, uh, published. Uh, so, uh, only four documents, uh, I think. Uh, I am offering you a chance to atone for what you have done. What exactly are you asking me to do? And documents, uh, I think, and in one or two of them, there are Israelite names. Uh, one of them is Hazakiyahu, Hazakiah. Uh, now, the date is uh, the first years, year, year two or what, of Nebuchadnezzar. So that means they are not Judeans. They definitely are Israelites. Israelites in the area of, of Habur, where they should be. Today, there are no Israelites waiting by the river Habur. But what if they moved east, taking their place names with them? 
of the passes between Afghanistan and Pakistan is known to the world as the Khyber Pass. northwest frontier, the wild west of the east. The first thing one notices is that the Pakistani government has no real authority here. The only way to obtain safe passage is to travel with an armed escort from the ruling people in the area, the Pathans. They have guarded the Khyber Pass for more than 2,000 years, driving away Genghis Khan, the British army, and most recently, the Soviets. In Hebrew, it's known as Chavor Pass, the same name as in the Bible. And next to the Khyber Pass, there's a city called Peshawar in Pakistan. Peshawar means the same thing, the Chavor Pass. So we thought, could the Khyber be Chavor in the Bible? If it is, there should be here a river called Gozan. And right there, flowing into the Kabul River, is the River Ghazni. I almost went there. If this is Havor, we thought, there should be somewhere around it. here, the city Hara. And 300 kilometers away, in Afghanistan, there's a city Harat. this area is a hotbed of Islamic fundamentalism. There are 15 million Pathans and not a single Jew among them. But we set out to investigate whether under the Islamic surface lies an Israelite past. The first clue was the fact that the Pathans claimed to descend from Afghan, son of King Saul of Israel. From their perspective, Afghanistan is an Israelite name. worship, they seem like any other Muslims. When studying the Quran, however, they rock their bodies in the manner of Jews. To this day, it is an ancient code called Bukhtun Wali, rather than Islamic law, which commands their ultimate loyalty. It is said about Bukhtun, you know, Bukhtun is a really is a written uh, itself, isn't it? We have got our own code of conduct. And not that whatever is Quran says, Pukhtun, I believe in that. We don't do much of the things which are not conveyed by Quran, really. That's why it is said, it is a proverb that Pukhtun nim Quran namani. Or Pukhtun in the mazab de uli. Puhtuwali, the code of the Puhtu. And what is this Puhtuwali? It's basically Old Testament law in a kind of unforgiving way, where you don't have any kind of rabbinical softening of it. Eye for an eye means eye for an eye, literally. Adultery, you're finished. 
Great documentary about the lost tribes of Israel, exclamation point. The main law here is the Islamic Sharia. The documentary about the but lost tribes of Israel. But we follow our own specific Puktunwali customs. For example, according to Islam, there must be established evidence for the conviction of adultery. You cannot convict anyone without sufficient evidence of fact. But according to Puktunwali, if there is even the slightest suspicion of an illegitimate relationship between a man and a woman, both are convicted and killed. The matter is closed, and there is nothing left to discuss. Killed? As what in the fuck Bible, are they killed? The Pathans still engage in animal sacrifices for religious purposes. I am of the Musahel, the people of Moses. We make sacrifices of sheep. For example, at a wedding festival, our elders would sacrifice four sheep. Today, when times are good, a man can sacrifice ten sheep. Here's a fresh take. Your intimate skin has intimate needs. Keep oh, it fresh geez. with Summer's Eve washes and cloths. <laughs> Summer's Eve demands skill disposable douche. When times are good, a man can sacrifice ten sheep. We make these sacrifices to please God and the people too. Also, some people used to light oil lamps on Friday nights to ask for forgiveness and blessings from God. Such are our traditions. We are in a country that is supposedly dominated by Muslims, but not Muslims, just any Muslims, Muslim fundamentalism. And yet we come face to face with people that say we are Musahel. We are from the people of Moses. Huh. Doing? I almost, uh, and as we travel among these people who look like them. they stepped off the pages of the Bible, hmm. Semitic faces, long beards, biblical garb, prayer shawls, and as the evidence mounted, garb. we could not help but feel that maybe here among the Pathans of Afghanistan and Pakistan, we would find the answers to our quest. We were astounded to learn that the Pathans adhere to biblical laws that were thought to have disappeared thousands of years ago. As in the Bible, those accused of manslaughter can escape to designated cities of refuge. It is mentioned in our old books that if you kill someone unintentionally, then you can flee to a designated place of refuge. Our books tell us that Moses ordered Joshua to establish cities of refuge and told the people that they should honor them. Today, we educated people think it is backwards to protect a criminal in this way, but the people in those areas of refuge look upon the matter as holy. To protect a fugitive is the sacred job of the elders. They treat him as their guest.
Is it just it a way the of... It are trapped in time, tenaciously adhering to their ancient ways. They've literally created a wall between themselves and the outside world. They live in these extended family compounds, their women hidden inside. As in the Bible, the Pathan women observe a code of modesty, which rarely allows them to emerge. I asked the Pathan, how could you have love songs when you keep your women hidden? <laughs> it's what, a man singing a song to someone in the kitchen from the other room, the dining room? He said, no, he laughed and he said, all our love songs take place at wells. <laughs> The only legitimate place for a woman in modesty to be seen is at the well. And immediately it struck me that every one of the biblical romances happens at a well. Mm. Moses meets Zipporah at a well. Right? Jacob meets Rachel and Leah at a well. Rebecca for Isaac is met at a well. It's always at the well. the path and marketplaces is to step back in time. Defying all probabilities, the Pathans still live in tribal groups with Israelite names. Rabani is similar to the tribe of Reuven, Levani, the tribe of Levi, and Shinwari, the tribe of Shimon. One Pathan tribe known as Gadun is very small in numbers, not unlike the lost tribe of Gad. Interestingly, the most numerous tribe among the Pathans is Afridi, and the most numerous tribe in ancient Israel was Ephraim. There is even a sub-tribe called Waziri, known for wearing its hair long. In biblical times, Naziri, such as Samson, also did not cut their hair. Not very long. So you have Reuven, Gad, I like it, but Ephraim, it's not that long though. Shimon. Four more tribes. So we'd actually located nine of the tribes. Or, let me put it differently, we think we located nine of the tribes. If we haven't located nine of the tribes, then it's a very strange coincidence going on that you have David. all these people with biblical Ethiopia. names, with biblical practices, with an Israelite memory, exactly where they should be according to the biblical map. If someone can come up with another explanation, I'm open to it, but I couldn't understand it. There are people living among the Pathans who claim descent from the Assyrians and still preserve an oral tradition of the conquest of Israel. You say big this home and auto bundle. Let's drive a fest to save the fun. Time to ring the savings bell. Very interesting. <laughs> you know what's that? Both animals and people towards large lakes, which form.
Our tradition is that 2,700 years ago, my people conquered Israel and took the tribes there to the areas we ruled. Iran, Turkey, Armenia, Uzbekistan, and Afghanistan. The Israelites were taken to all of these places. They acted as our servants. They acted as tutors for the Assyrian children. They were also used in the army to help Assyria in warfare. When I was young and had no beard, my grandfather's uncle died at the age of 115. We called him Baba, or Grandfather. He used to say that we are the children of Israel. I was young, and at that age people forget things. They don't care much about history or talk of this kind. But now I would like to know what are our origins. Where do we come from? Our grandfathers always told us that we are from the Bani Israel, the children of Israel. They said the Jews are as Pathan as we are. It's clear that a Judaic memory persists, but were there ever people here who openly identified with Judaism? If you look up Harat in the Encyclopedia Judaica, for example, you'll find one or two paragraphs. If you look up a Western Jewish community, you'll find pages and pages and pages. And when you look up Harat, it says the Jewish community may have been in Harat for somewhere between 1,000 and 2,000 years. They're talking about a community that lived somewhere for at least 1,000 years, and there's a paragraph or two on them. What does this tell us? It tells us that they're lost to our consciousness, that they've fallen off the Western radar screen. In Harat, we find this cemetery covered with stars of David and Hebrew script. For at least a thousand years, it served one of the oldest continuous Jewish communities in the world. The Jews of Harat are no more. The last of them left in the late 1980s following the Soviet invasion. The country is now torn by civil war, and yet a Pathan tribesman agrees to take us to one of the old synagogues. For hundreds of years, people entered this house of prayer through the grand doorways leading into its beautiful sanctuary. Today, we enter through an artillery hole blasted by Soviet shells. There is now a tiny community of Afghani Jews in Israel. Like the Bukharans, they are largely unknown here. 
they remember their former Pathan neighbors as not quite Jewish, but perhaps related to them in some way. They were the ones who wore these prayer shawls, four-cornered garments like we do. And they didn't really know what they were, and they used to be surprised to see us wearing similar things. They would say to us, you're Jews? How could you be Jews? They'd be surprised. I remember them coming from the border areas, from the mountains, from Pakistan, places like Jalalabad. And I remember people said that to this day they still lit candles on the Sabbath. They would put the candles under these baskets and didn't know why they were doing it. They had all these traditions they didn't know the origins of. Except they said, that is what our forefathers did. Did they think they were Jewish? They thought they were more Jewish than us. <laughs> Prophets say that equal numbers of Israelites and Judeans will herald the Messiah. Interestingly, the number of Pathans and Jews in the world is virtually identical. The prophecy also foretells that it is Menashe and Ephraim that will take the lead in the return. In India, we had encountered the Menashe. If we were right, here among the Afridi, we had come face to face with Ephraim. However, before we could accept that the end of days was upon us, we needed more proof. On the road to Armageddon, it now seemed appropriate that our journey take us through a minefield. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter Having who rational, you are. biological understanding it now seemed appropriate that our journey take us through a minefield. We needed harder evidence that the Pathans were of the lost tribes. So we went to the Afghani city of Kandahar, where in the 1950s a stone covered in ancient script was discovered. During the Soviet invasion, this stone was buried under rubble and surrounded by mines. Here, Red dots mark undetonated mines, which we skirted to get to the site. Twenty-three hundred years ago, the Buddhist emperor Ashoka put up propaganda pillars throughout his empire. Until the Kandahar discovery, it was thought that these stones were always written in Sanskrit. But the stone buried here is written in Aramaic. In other words, the people then living here spoke in the everyday language of the Israelite tribes. We came here with a local elder in the hope of photographing it but in its present state, that proved impossible. It's under here. The stone is very big and there is ancient writing all over it. Same hard surface as this one, but no one can get to it now. 
This is definitely the place. There's no point in looking any further. We did look further. We were tipped off that across the border in Pakistan, there was another stone rarely mentioned by Western scholars. Look at that. There it is, right over there. What is it? What is it? Here, the stone was accessible. To our surprise, we discovered that it too was not written in Sanskrit, but in the Aramaic alphabet. I see all the letters, the Aleph, the Ain, and I'm standing in front of this 2,300-year-old postcard from the Lost Tribes. And when we pack up our gear and we go, and I'm like in shock, because I didn't expect to find it. I was thinking it's in Gandahar. I didn't know there was a one, another one here. And there's two more in places we didn't go. And one has on it the Hebrew month of Elul. So then this guide comes up to me and they told me, don't say you're Jewish, don't say anything, because people here are very Muslim, they may not take kindly to you. So he says, why were you able to read that? And I feel, I don't want to lie to this guy. And I said, because I'm a Jew. And this person, who's supposed to be my enemy, leans over with tears in his eyes, embraces me, and says, then you are my brother. So maybe it was happening. Maybe the end of time was unfolding. I was standing there and I got goosebumps. I said, wait a minute, is this it? Am I, gonna, am I making a film or am I turning into the reporter from Armageddon? But then something struck me. We never found people who claimed to be Cohen's priests. And that's a big problem because if we're really analyzing prophecy, return of the tribes leads to messianic times. Messianic times leads to the rebuilding of the temple of God in Jerusalem. And that leads to the renewed rituals that take place there. And that requires a ritually pure cast of priests. And there are none among the tribes. And in Western Jews, none that can claim that they are ritually pure descendants of, a, of this priestly class. So what's going on here? On the one hand, it seems that prophecy is unfolding. And on the other hand, key characters in the biblical drama are missing. Perhaps we had stumbled on some kind of eternal punishment. Preserved in their tribal units on the edges of deserts, the lost Israelites were waiting for a redemption that would never come. Or perhaps everything we thought we had found was a passing mirage. There was one lead we hadn't followed, one tribe whose descendants we had not encountered the tribe of Asher. Since the Kohen priests were not living among the other tribes, perhaps if we located Asher, we would find... You forgot that Rastafarians always talk about descending, talk about Ethiopia, and King David's being 
and Haile Selassie being a descendant of David, King David and King Solomon. <clears throat> Black Jews. Key to the Cohen Enigma. Is it possible that there's a little enclave somewhere of pure cones kept there until the blast of the great horn, the tribes have come home, that heavenly trumpets will call them out and say, do your priestly duty. For that, we went looking to the place that Asher would be. There were seafarers and they were in alliance with the Canaanites. They sailed the seas together. And the biggest Phoenician or Canaanite colony was in Carthage, modern Tunisia. So we went to the one place we hadn't been to, to look for the one tribe that we had made no contact with. And just a few hundred kilometers down the road, off the coast of Tunisia, there's an island, and on that island, there's a community that have been there since biblical times. The name of the island is Jerba. It is home to a Jewish community that Tunisians value for its silversmiths. Most historians maintain the theory that the Jewish community in Jerba is the oldest community in Jewry in the, in the whole world. Uh, some of them, they say that the Jewish community was established even before the construction of the first temple. What we now learned is that the community split into two distinct quarters. One for Spanish Jews who arrived here in the 16th century, and one made up not of Asherites, but of Kohens, and no one else. There is a small quarter on the island near the ancient synagogue. There is a bigger Jewish neighborhood called the Large Quarter. The larger quarter is mainly made up of Jews who arrived here after their expulsion from Spain. Also, other Jews of various ethnic backgrounds came to live there. The smaller quarter, on the other hand, is made up essentially of Kohen priests who arrived here after the destruction of the first temple in Jerusalem in biblical times. I am from the Joseph Cohen family. I have it from my father and my father's father that our tradition is that we came from the priestly neighborhood. We are Cohen's and it is 2,000 years that we have been living here on this tiny island. ...temple to be erected after the apocalypse. The sacred treasure is supposedly buried beneath the shrine. In a crawl space under the main sanctuary, we did not find any relics. What we did find, however, 
is the foundation stone whose original inscriptions, if there were any, had been covered by the black soot of countless candles. Buried treasure or not, what is clear is that the Cohens of Jerba have maintained a communal priestly tradition found nowhere else in the world. Jerba is the island of Cohen priests. All are Cohens. Are you a Cohen? Yes, and so is he. When did you Cohens get here? With Ezra the scribe in biblical times, it's a heritage passed on from generation to generation. We are some of the very few Kohenim who have the authentic priestly lineage from those days up to the present. The Asherites had eluded us, but they did lead us to the Kohens. It appears that if needed, temple priests are available to bring in the Messianic Age, ensuring that the return of the tribes would not be in vain. There is a divine promise in the Bible that the tribes will return, that they will be united, that they will prosper and grow. And this is a promise that was uttered by many of the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, in very flowery language, in very nice metaphors like in Ezekiel. But now there is a flaw. There is a promise hanging there which has not been fulfilled. the divine promise is fulfilled, millions believe that this place, Armageddon, will be at the center of events. It is here that long ago Israelite tribes put up one of their fiercest battles against the Assyrians. But the new age will be heralded only when the descendants of those ancient warriors return. My entire life I was overweight and I had tried everything. I was obsessively counting calories. I would try no carb. I would try solely eating a chicken breast. What is wrong with me? Am I just stuck like this? Nutrisystem was the only... Benjamin. Daniel Benjamin is one of the few who have made it from the India-Burma border to Israel. If he is from the lost tribe of Menashe, he is one of the first Israelites to serve in the Jewish army in nearly 3,000 years. The very first time I came here, all my thoughts, everything that was in my mind, was about my father, of blessed memory, who passed to the next world before he got the opportunity to come here, to our country. So the first time I arrived in this place, I cried in my heart. My dream is that every one of the B'nai Menashe, at least a million or two, will come here with God's help. Our young people will then go into the army and will build the land of Israel. And in the end, 
Messiah will come and rebuild the Holy Temple. I pray for this. I pray that the ingathering takes place and that Messiah will lead it. Seeing Daniel pray next to an Ethiopian Israeli, I couldn't help but wonder if the story had come full circle, if the tribes of Dan and Menashe had begun the long prophesied return of the lost Israelites. The lost tribes of Israel are no longer lost. The lost tribes of Israel have never been lost. What was lost is our consciousness. What was lost is our sensitivity to parts of the world that are not Western. We were lost to them. They've never been lost to themselves. Long ago, the Israelites were given a prophetic promise that once atonement had been made, there would be a bright messianic future and the staff of Judah would be rejoined with the staff of Joseph, the tribes finally reunited. These people now believe that their nearly 3,000 year exile is over and that their redemption is at hand. Celebrating with their rabbi, they proclaim not the beginning of the end, but the beginning of a new beginning. God knows where they are. Um, so who, uh, I can tell I will love this documentary. I myself have been thinking of going to live in these lands due to my disappointment in Western society, which is losing nearly all its enduring qualities. I feel more big than I do Western. I always have. There's also been a dozen of Hebrew carvings found in North America, where when May has done extensive research showing Hebrew characters also found in the Cherokee language. Wayne May. Let me look on on Twitter for Wayne May. Wayne M A E. Mm, Emily May Winters music. Uh, so we look on my list now. Hmm. No, it's not on Twitter. Hebrew characters also found in the Cherokee language. That's pretty fucking weird. In the to the right places, watching since a Muslim, it seems clear we are all the people of the Scripture. We need to stick together and respect each other's differences. There'll come a day when we will find. He's right, but so the day we need to respect one another and stick together. Things will connect when they are meant to connect, but it'll let us. I think it's kind of eerie. 
I think it's kind of eerie, comma, comma, that so many people believe that they are the chosen ones. That so many people subscribing to these religions consider themselves the chosen ones, comma, comma, so that when the end of times comes, comma, so that when the end of time comes, comma, they think they will be saved and not the rest of us, exclamation point. I think it is magical thinking. Comma, I think it is a way to put a division between us. Comma, and comma and that this attitude radicalizes people comma and makes them dehumanize others exclamation point religion can be a very dangerous thing religion can be a dangerous thing like a snack or something but mm, I don't know It's also eerie how fundamentalist kind of fantasize about seem to fantasize about Judgment Day and the apocalypse and then about Judgment Day, comma, the apocalypse, comma, Armageddon, exclamation point, exclamation point. I think radical people, comma, people radicalized by the church, comma, people radicalized by the dogmas of their church or temple or synagogue, or temple or synagogue, comma, they make this place hell on earth. These people make he play hell on earth. Exclamation point.
Select all copy. Stop fucking Nazis, America. Turn <sighs> So, AFC, the goddess has supported a bid for the executive in the future, you idiot right-wing nuts. Right, okay. Great documentary on the lost tribes of Israel, exclamation point. Great new documentary on the lost tribes of Israel, exclamation point.